Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Today, another day, another Monday to embrace the world. Ugh. Change your life. That you say, what so, world are you embracing? I was trying to be all positive. <laughs> oh, sure. And then I thought, Monday. Yeah, that went downhill Did really quickly. Fast that yeah. Immediately. Like right off. We should bring in some lasagna, then it'll be okay. It would be great. Except, yeah. oh, that sounds heavy right now. Mm. Still a little know. early in the week for lasagna. I like to save my lasagna for the weekend. I don't know. I had a pretty good meal last night. Chick- you- chicken and slicks. Pardon? It's basically a southern chicken and dumplings. Mmm. Mmm. My Let's, kids enjoyed it. I had um, haystacks. What are, they called? what are they called? Hawaiian haystacks. Oh, Hawaiian haystacks. What's I don't know. Well, that's that's with rice, like a pork. And yeah. Then, yeah, you put like we had like a chicken white sauce. Mm-hmm. We turned this Those into can be a, good. We turned this into a food show. Hey, yeah. But and then pineapple and just a bunch of fun stuff. Get, your, get your knife out. We'll teach you some nice skills here. That's yeah. what we're trying to do. Okay. Um, let's just get to you know go full circle. James, what did you have for dinner? Ramen noodles. Woo! So you know, student budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. The three different degrees of uh, eating. <laughs> Haystacks, you know, probably the middle of the ground. Yeah. Yours probably took a lot of time. No, actually, no, it didn't. Haystacks are easy because you, the the consumer has to make the stack. Yeah. Well, I made the recipe, so. Oh, yeah. But I, I got to teach my daughter how to cook, too. Did you? I cooked with my daughter last I, night. I, yes. by the way, taught my son how to cook as well. There you go. Uh, we did Hot Pockets. No, not hot buckets. Yeah, we did kind of, yeah. yeah we're teaching cook- a microwaveable great cooking macaroni. skills here. Oh, those are college cooking skills, though, took, aren't it, they? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, they come in really handy. Yeah. They're really handy. See, James, you're eating. Yeah. I mean, a lot of top ramen. Thanks to the skills that I learned back at home, I know how to make a bowl of hot ramen. Okay, there you go. let's talk about this. Did you learn, you must have learned to do that at school. Make, the, make ramen? Well, yeah, because the only place supposedly we're supposed to learn on this earth is at school is at school right because today we're talking about your kids going back to school so i'm sure you went and took a home at class where they said this is how you prepare top ramen you know actually i went behind my teacher's back and i learned how to operate the microwave at home Ooh. yeah Whoa. can you believe that was how your, dare you was i know your mother right? around <laughs> well, no it was i went behind her back she too could, and, she could have been arrested for that probably did you ever <laughs> have a microwave that sounded like that's what my first microwave sounded like. <laughs> Do you remember those? You need to fix your microwave. Yeah, no, they were huge. Get that and, like, checked out. The door like locked. They'd shut the oh, door yeah, and you'd I have know. to lock it. Yeah. And, yeah. Here we go. It's yeah, like it was, a latch. It's like something from a James Bond movie. That you, yeah. <laughs> See, that's the uh, – today's show is all about going back to school. And now that our my children – I have four kids going to school. Sean, you've got – Four kids going to school. Four daughters going to school. James, yep. how many kids do you have going to school? Um. Uh, the tally this morning was a uh, grand total of zero. Zero children. Yeah, no, just me. Excellent. At least you know. And <laughs> here's the cool thing about it. Of all of this, uh, these learnings, I'm excited for my kids to go back to school because I'm thinking we're finally going to have a life again. Right. Because if not, they all stay up late. 
Well, that is true, yes. I mean, mine are out of control. Funny, mm-hmm. I feel like I just lost mine. Because so, you just started back to school? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of an inverse relationship there. It's kind of hard having this conversation with James. It is. Because <laughs> we're talking about him and yet he – you know, as if he's one of us and that he is one of them. I'm not one of you. Yeah. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing, you know, your child goes to school. Sometimes you'll have some of the older ones feeling homesick, wishing they could have some protein instead of just top ramen. They're calling home, Mom, when can I come home for protein? Some of you might uh, <laughs> when can have – I come home and do laundry? Yeah. When can I come home? Do you have any detergent? In our house, it's like structure. It changes our structure. And so we're going to be talking about kids going back to school. Some of you may have even had kids that had a little anxiety attack. They got a little nervous. So we've got a great expert coming on. But before we do that, we're going to address some headlines. Headliners from The Matt Townsend Show, a summary of stories that you might have missed. You may have missed these. These are the ones that hide in the dark crevices of the newspaper. The dark recesses of the news. (laughs) So digging through the dark recesses. Well, the, actually, I Sean pulled this O'Neill. one off of the off the Today Show oh, website. So this isn't so dark. No, not really. What is it? A. Polowski is the author of this uh, article. Um, she's wondering if it's the end of homework what? as we know it. How could homework end? How would teachers torture S- children? Schools are actually banning homework. Hold on. What's... No, I heard... I heard James there. James. There was James in the middle of that ben, group. Hold on. It, it's not fair. I had to do homework. My children agree. have to do homework. Mm-hmm. Well, why would they want to ban it? Well, some teachers are saying that it's kind of a black hole. In fact, there's a teacher <laughs> at the University of Arizona, yeah. uh, Arizona South. Her name is Eda Karlovic. She's an associate professor there. She says, I think teachers are going to be increasingly interested in having total control over student learning during the class day and not relying on homework as any kind of activity that's going to support student learning. Well, okay, I can get part of this mm-hmm. because if you're sending a child home to a home where there's not a support right. system that, and parents that are I involved, agree. then that is a black hole. That is a black hole. However. and I th- But I think that is increasingly being seen around the country. So. Except here's the, the – then – then, okay, let's do that, but let's keep our kids in school all year round. Uh, that is – well, that's part of the argument in, in our next story, actually. Because, is it? Because we're already <laughs> cutting them back. We're already having major breaks. We're already mm-hmm. further behind other countries mm-hmm. that are more advanced educationally. Come on! Some people are saying it's becoming more and more difficult for children to devote time to all the assignments that they're bringing home. Because they're overwhelmed because they they have football and baseball and that's, choir yeah, and you, you know, that's where they're saying, service. That's where this story says that there is a philosophical difference. You have parents who want their kids to be very scheduled, driven, very ambitious and focused mm-hmm. at school. Those parents want their kids to do homework. Yeah. Then there are parents who want a more child-centered life with their kids. They want their kids to be able to explore different aspects of themselves. They think their kids should have free time. Yeah. Now, by the way, and in all honesty, each child's going to be different. Some would learn better chasing a butterfly through the backyard. Exactly. Then, but they then eventually ought to you have to write about it. Mm. You got to talk about it. You exactly. got to present it. Got to you got to learn how to share your ideas with right. people. But um, I, I, you know, James was talking about this uh, before the show started. James, by the way, the the student, the child, the really of of <laughs> of the show. You the really, you, I, you feel like you're my child, James. Oh, well, but you had this profound idea or concept. 
yeah, point. Well, well, it's like what you guys are talking about. There's so many different types of learning styles. Exactly. And the problem that we, we see a lot with education is educational systems is that there's just kind of one blanket solution oh, yeah. for every single child right. out there. When you usually, you know, that doesn't work right? because you know, everyone's different. So, you know mm-hmm. where I learned that? Um, I, I don't want to brag. But in when, school? No, when I was in kinder, when I was in preschool, uh, I got to be the graham cracker man. Oh, um, it was you an know honor. What? That's the perfect. I think that's the perfect place for Matt. Yeah, the graham cracker man. <laughs> Which is so everyone would get the mats out and they'd, mm-hmm. they'd take a nap on the mats and someone would get to the. I, and I, I don't know. I think I was a favorite. I think I had just a gift with graham crackers. <laughs> so they'd let me get up early, and then I'd go put a graham cracker on everybody's. I'd get to break them, and then I'd put them down on each spot, and then they, we'd get them a little carton of milk. Mm-hmm. But right there, when I would walk around, I would notice that some of these kids needed nap time in preschool. And some were just twitchy and just squirming all over the place. They didn't need nap time. And some were playing with their own toy and they're, you know, they'd pull out a little match car and they'd be playing with it. So I learned right there, come on, we're all different. We are. Why can't they get that? So if, if we're going to do different homeworks or whatever, some need homework, some don't, then we also ought to, uh, we ought to give them the opportunity to have naps. Some need True. naps in the middle school. Yeah, I agree. Some, you know, need, uh, you know, healthier you know, foods. Some I have need. No, I have no lot. problem if teachers give time in class for you to do work. And if you don't get the work done, yeah. then you take it home. I like that. But again, it's true, too, because some kids you're going to take it home and there's not going to be a parent there to help or a yeah, parent that's there That's true. To... Yeah. And that's unfortunate <sighs> that there isn't a parent there well, to help. And I think that's the point is in the end, folks, you have to raise your children. You have to be there to educate so that's what the show's about, giving you the tools. A leg up when we come back. Tamar Chansky, PhD, is going to be talking to us, teaching us about how to uh, help your child, how to you know maintain their anxieties, their stresses, how to set up the conditions so your child can really thrive. She's a child psychologist. Tamar Chansky, after this break, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, the goal of this show is to give you the tools you need to help you grow healthier, happier lives. We want you to find the good in life and then build it, share it, teach your children how to be healthy and strong as well. Today on the program, we are specifically talking about this back to school. You know, it's that time of year and the kids are back. You may already have your kids in school a couple of weeks, and you may also be running into some of the real-life problems that come when we send our kids to school. You might have a child calling from the university that he finally went away to college, like James, like he did last week. He's like, Mom, I can't eat any more Top Ramen. I'm starting to get sick. <laughs> Stuff like that. And so what do you do with a homesick child? What do you do with a, uh, you know, how do you organize your house to set you up for success with your kids, your schedules? And how do you deal with the anxiety that sometimes impacts your kids around school time? On the phone with us, uh, a wonderful guest, Tamar Chansky is joining us. She's a Ph.D. in psychologist specializing in the treatment and prevention of anxiety and stress in children, teens and adults 
She's the author of several books, including Freeing Your Child from Anxiety and Freeing Yourself from Anxiety. She's the founder and director of the Children's and Adult Center for OCD and Anxiety in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. You can find more about her at her website, uh, tamarchansky.com, T A M A R. C-H-A-N-S-K-Y, TamarChansky.com. Tamar, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, thanks so much for having me. You bet. I mean, honestly, we, I, it's very selfish because I need your help desperately. Is, is, wait, who, who is having the ramen noodles? <sighs> James is our board operator here, a college student, and, he, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure ramen every day, all day is just not good for you. And, and that can make you kind of sad. Too, oh, you I have think. no idea. When I walked in, he was in the fetal position crying. <laughs> and it was just with ramen running down his cheeks. It was so sad. Hey, Tamar, by the way, anybody out there, if you have a question about your, for your, for Tamar about your child, somebody, maybe a child suffering anxiety or anything, you know, dealing with their moods, their emotions, give us a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Chat BYU or tweet us the question at BYU Radio. We'll get you on the air. So, Tamar, help us out here. I mean, kids can have anxiety. Kids can be stressed. Kids, you know, we can't control everything about our kids, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, what's interesting that you kind of uh, phrased the question that way, Matt, I think is that part of the solution really is starting with ourselves as parents to realize that these moments of our children's suffering, maybe let's say mini suffering, yeah. it's so important that we know that they are survivable. Hmm. Because when we don't, when we forget that and we get all caught up in our emotion about not being able to swoop up and, and you know, protect our children from, you know, what they're dealing with, kids think that these you know, situations are wrong, that they should not be happening. And then they go from there to either avoiding new things or starting a story in their head about, you know, why, you know, why am I like this? I shouldn't be like this. So it's so important for parents to give a clear message of uh, compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. about what's happening, but also to say, you know, this is temporary. You you are going to get through this. I know it's hard. You know, let's figure out how to how to kind of move that along. Because we could so blow it, but like, oh, you're so broken. And we would yeah. never say that. But if we're thinking it, the yeah. child will also see, man, something's wrong with me because mom will not let go of mm-hmm. this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so we, you know, we're trying to build um, what I like to think of as kind of a, a mobile sense of security. Not one that is requires a parent to be there. Yeah. Um, certainly, in the beginning, parents you know need to be there all the time. You know, someone providing that sense of security. But our our goal as parents is really to help children to internalize that idea that they they can cope. And you know, why do we have a lot of anxiety at this time of year? Kids are faced with new situations where they're not sure they know how to cope. Sure. You know, is the teacher going to be nice or the kids, you know, who am I going to sit with at lunch? You know, in a child's world, those are those are big ticket items. Yeah. Um, There's but, a lot of unknown, right? I mean, you used to, everything was predictable. The schedule was very set. You'd have nap times. You'd have the summer was up for freedom and now you're going to be in a seat. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. And it almost seems like it would get harder, you know, as you go 
if you do have some kind of you know subtle anxiety if you if you are a little more anxious if you are a little more um sensitive this could kind of build you know i'm going to say to that matt i'm going to say yes and no i mean absolutely um if you have an anxious uh, predisposition, you know, a mindset that, that tends in that direction to what if. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every, you know, every new situation is going to be grist for the mill. But in, I want to put out the very positive message to your listeners that kids can also learn how right. to overcome and really spot, spot the bad guy. That's what I say is, you know, tell on worry. What's worry telling you about you know, the, the new school year so that the child doesn't feel like it's them. They can mm-hmm. say, you know, worry's telling me this and that. And over time, they start to recognize the sound of those thoughts, the sound of that voice in their head. And they can say, you know, right, it's worry again. I know it's, you know, turned out fine last year. It's going to be okay. Worry, you know, I'm not going to believe the hype kind of right. thing. And that's, that's really the strategic angle that we we want to take when our kids are coming to us with our worry is like you said not you know not to be alarmed by it but to say right that is exactly what worry would say yep. i bet you know every child they're not telling you this that's right <laughs> but at bedtime they're telling their parents those yeah. are the exact same things that they're worried about that's just what worry sounds like and and then creating those skills like the, the coping skills the ability to self-soothe and um, and, and, and I guess it all begins with the worry, what the worry or the, the, that feeling of tension they're feeling is telling them to prepare for something. There's something here. Listen right. to it. That's powerful. Right. Talk about homesickness. I know what, one of the things that you might, a lot of us out there might see happening with our kids is, you know, being away from home eight hours a day or some even the young adults going away to college a little bit. They have to deal with their own homesickness. What's, how do we... How do we look at that? Yeah, I mean, I think, Matt, that the way that we look at that is um, that, you know, the good side of homesickness, I, I silver lining to, to say first, is that these are kids who have made a connection. Yeah. They like, <laughs> it's a sign of love. That's good. I mean, that's they the upside, right? They be away from you. That's right. Um, but, you know, with younger kids, that that's really, you know, part of what it's about. But often what you want to do is unpack it with them because, and not guess that you know, assume that you know what they're worried about because a lot of times, it, you know, it's not what you would think. Kids will say, I just, I don't know how to, you know. I don't know how to use my locker. You know, what if I forget my combination? Or yeah. you know, with younger kids, what if I need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. You know, how do what do you do? And because they're not in problem solving mode, their emotions kind of hijack them with that thought of you know being stuck, needing to go to the bathroom, and not knowing what to do. What what we can help them with is to say, right, okay, yeah, let's, you know, what what is it that worries telling you, or what are you afraid of? What are you picturing that's going to be tough? Now let's kind of fact check about it. Is that fear really going to come true, or is there something we need to do to plan to make that work? I mean, sometimes that's great. kids think that, um, you know, they're not allowed to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or that, you know, if they're, you know, if they're hungry, they're, you know, they're not allowed to have something to eat. Well, that may be true. They need to stretch there. But the point is there, there may be things once we hear what's on their mind that we can fill in the blanks about and kind of correct the misperception. I love the word unpack because if they say, oh, I hate school, mom, I hate it. They're so mean there. If you take the bait and just 
assume you know what that means instead of like you say, ask, so why? What is it about it that's so hard? Underneath that, there's more really specific things, I guess, that you could do to eliminate their specific worries. Exactly. You're going to be so much more effective than if you try to <laughs> Chase the... Solve, the, solve the problem of school. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's where you're like, ah, well, son, you know, none of us ever liked school growing up. And then we give this big line that takes us nowhere. Yeah, exactly. That's, is it, I guess, what is that about us? It's almost like we assume we know we don't really want to hear it. Why, why is it as parents we don't go in deeper and try to figure out inherently what they're and what do you mean when you say right. you hate school why what do you sense about right. us parents and and matt i'm just going to broaden it to say you know as people because if you think about you know if you're in a relationship with someone and they're upset about something often we don't yeah no we don't, we don't. fact check there either no what is it human beings you know for, for better or worse and of course it's for better do not like to be around people who are suffering we we want to stop the suffering so rather than take the time to kind of narrow the suffering down to something very manageable that we could help with. We just, we kind of go in big yeah, <laughs> and, you know, really try to take it away. So part of it, like I said at the beginning of the show, is if parents can sort of calm themselves and say, okay, you know, I, I can help here, but I'm going to, I want to really be effective. So let me find out what the problem really is. It's like the needle, you know, the needle in the haystack or whatever, you know, you just, you, it, but it's not because right. kids, kids can tell you if you ask the right questions. Um, and that that's really one of one of my big uh, platforms is that the best way for parents to help is to ask questions rather than just give sort of blanket reassurance yeah. about give, things. Yeah, incredible wisdom handed down from the ages. Well done. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Tamar Chansky, and she's teaching us about how we can relate to our children, connect to our kids, how we can work with them, understand them better as they are going back to school, maybe suffering a little homesickness, some stress. When we come back, Tamar's going to teach us about how we should uh, set our houses up, how they should run, what are some of the conditions our children need in order to feel more confident, ready to go to school day in, day out. We're taking a break, folks. We'll be right back after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about back to school. You know, for me, it's just a heavenly moment, you would think, except it's messed up our lives. We have kids in every in every different level of school, primary or elementary school, uh, middle school, high school, university. They're everywhere. But, uh, in fact, this morning I walked out. Um, luckily, I was clothed. Um, and my daughter is borrowing our house to teach her piano lessons because her home that she's fixing up isn't ready. So just when you think they're going to leave, they come right back and teach piano lessons. 
This is the show topic today. Back to school. What are the keys? What are we supposed to do to make sure that, uh, you know, we are being a supportive parent, that we understand what our children are going through instead of maybe creating more intense anxiety for them? We've asked Dr. Tamar Chansky to join us. She's a psychologist that specializes in the treatment and prevention of anxiety and stress in children, teens, and adults. She's also the author of several books, including Freeing Your Child from Anxiety and Freeing Yourself from Anxiety. I highly suggest you go check out her website, tamarchansky.com. Um, also, you know, she has a PhD from Temple University. And really, if you go to her website, there's a lot of great stuff on there that, that can help you, along with information about her new books and some videos there as well, and a blog. She does it all. Tamar, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much, Matt. You bet. Talk routines for us. I mean, one of the things I'm finding the hardest thing right now is getting everyone into a routine, getting my kids to want to go to bed <laughs> again. They, you know, summer took away their routine. And talk about routines. Why do they Absolutely. matter? Do, I mean, I know kids need them. We, everyone needs them. If you, right. I mean, it's the, you know, the expression, if you, what, what happens if you reinvent the wheel every day? Right. You're kind of exhausted. That's, That's all. Right. That might be all you do. So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, just what so so much in life we assume should just happen. Yeah. And we don't think that we need to make plans for things. And so this is a, a big place where have the family meeting or have, you know, have the meeting with your spouse and figure out who's going to do what. Um, and then, you know, go back yeah. to your children and say, okay, this is, <laughs> this is how it's going to work. Um, is there too but, much of a routine? I mean, can you... I mean, I, I know you can. I've seen it. Uh, do you? How do you know where to draw the lines? Are there certain times where the, it's more okay for them to just have free time? Right. I, you know, when you said that, Matt, I was picturing the uh, what was it? The captain in uh-huh. the Sound of Music blowing yep. the whistle for the different yes. <laughs> for the different breakfast children. time. That's right. I would say that was too much, but he learned in the end yeah. that uh, was too much. But no, I think that. Um, you know, it's it's the the beginnings and the ends of the day, so, so important. Those are the hot spots, you know, pressure's on to get out of the house. Nighttime, you know, kids need to sleep, so that's not a good time to be disorganized. So I think, you know, that if you if you make a plan for mornings and, and nighttime, that there can be some wiggle room then at other places. But, I, you know, just looking at my own life, I need to know when... <laughs> When we have to get out of the house, uh-huh. you know, that all the other dominoes don't fall, you know, for, for the day. Um, so I, I think that that's, that is really important. One, one thought, though, is when I was saying talk to your uh, spouse and then figure it out, um, tell the kids what to do. Really, the more that you include children where you can mm-hmm. in decision making, they will be part of the plan. You know, they will buy in. Absolutely. So, you know, you're not going to say, hey, what time do you want to go to bed? (laughs) But you're going to say, okay, so bedtime needs to be 8.30. Here's my question to you. Do you want to do, you know, you have to do 15 minutes of reading for school. Do you want that to be before bed or do you want it to be at another time? Yeah. So you're, you know, you find the places where there are appropriate questions for them, and then they don't feel like, wow, my parents are totally taking over my life. Well, and that's cool because you <laughs> save, could save that feeling for high school, yeah, right? Yeah, save that for college, then save that for your job, and then save yeah. that for your marriage. Yeah, we're gonna save that one. Just don't attach it to your parents. 
Because it's it's interesting. There's no end to what needs to be done. They have chores that need to be done, homework needs to be done, extracurricular activities. Talk about some of those and how we might, you know, allow you know create a, a space where we can talk about it with our kids and give them choices, and yet maybe just don't go with their answer of all of them. Right, right, and you know sometimes the parents are also feeling that pressure about you know they've heard from parents of older kids about applying to college and they're already thinking about what activities their children need to do and it just creates a big you know a, a big ball of anxiety, anxiety for, yeah. for everybody so you know what is it just come back to what what your job is as a parent so part of it is helping to create balance for your child because they're you know think of your you know, three-year-old, if they were make calling the shots, they would have candy all day. That's right. So, you know, but, but that model doesn't really change throughout life. That's right. <laughs> there, there are always places where children need our help in thinking about what's going to be good for them. They want to stay up till 11 o'clock and, you know, get up at six in the morning. That's not going to be good for them. So you want, you know, you want to be having the conversation um, about what, you know, what what they want to do most um, mm-hmm. and work you know see sometimes it's not even realistic for the family to do the carpooling for you know for the activities they want to do right that's one thing but you know see if your if your child's gone through this before that you learn from previous years how much time do they need for homework how would that you know kind of work back from there how's that going to work with this many sports how are they going to be able to get to bed on time? And you're you're asking those in an open-ended, you know, curious way. Let's figure it out. If it can work, great. If it can't, we need to make a different plan. Hmm. So, and and by again by including children in this kind of discovery process, what you're modeling for them is this is what you can do for yourself too. Is to really think through how can I make this work? Can I make it work? And if I can't you know, what? what's the alternative? You know, that's such a, a different way than some where the child comes home and says, Mom, I want to play football. And you're like, no way. <laughs> and you already have the answer. But what you could teach, I guess, is just as you're saying, is teach them, model for them the process of decision making, thinking through what the expectations would be and and then helping them kind of weigh it out. Uh, what a powerful tool to really eliminate some of their own anxiety. That Then it's then it's not as random because you have this tool to actually vet through your exactly. issues of life. Right. You might say, so that sounds great right now. Let's just fast forward to when you have, you know, midterms mm-hmm. or when you, ha- you know, have tests. Let's just see. Again, it's the asking questions rather than giving information because the more that the child sort of discovers these answers themselves, they're, they're going to be more meaningful. They yeah. listen more to themselves than to us. Um, so yeah, so you, you you kind of help them to try out different possibilities of what what could come up, and yeah, and then see see what conclusions they reach. You might say, ultimately, this is going to be a decision for you know mom and dad, but we really want to hear what what you're thinking about yeah. it because you know you just because you're including your child in the process doesn't mean that you know they they have equal say that wouldn't that wouldn't be helpful for them. Um, <laughs> right. you, you wouldn't you wouldn't 
say it that way, right. but you say it the way I said it before. That's right. No, that's right. <laughs> we we want to know what you think. Well, you know, we've got to make the the ultimate choice um, to you know be, because of all the other things going on. But we really want to know what you know why you want to do that. What you know what what you like about it. What's important to you about it. That how, kind of thing. How do we not get caught up in leading by our fears? Like. Oh, okay. Mike, he's got to have a good bio here, so I've got to make sure I get him in well-rounded stuff, and and, and it's got to look good for school, and the neighbors are doing it, and then my kid's feeling social pressure to play. I mean, how do we not get our egos involved in this development stage, if, if, if we can? How do we just keep it more into what's in the best interest of our family? No, that that's so well put. I think everyone should write down your comment, Matt, and, and yeah, put it right there. on their bedside table. Get your ego out of it. Yeah, let it and go. Focus on what's best for your child. No, that's that's so so true. That you know, I, but I think just having compassion for for parents who are in that situation, being being one myself. Yeah. Um, that what we have to do, we have peer pressure too, but just like we're telling kids, you know, not to just respond to that, we have to do the same thing. Yes, we're going to hear about our friends' kids who are, you know, doing this and that and, you know, uh, all-star and mm-hmm. in New York City, whatever. Special whatever leagues, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, but we have to say, all right, right, you know, how do I build a confident child? A confident child now is who's going to be a confident child in the future. Hmm. That's, it's really about now. So one thing is... I had a, a great conversation with a, a patient and uh, her dad one time where the dad was saying, you know, all these lines. But if you don't do this, then what, what's it going to look like for college? And we just kind of looked at him and he, <laughs> he said, oh, am I, doing am it? I <laughs> That's right. creating the, you know, the yeah. very anxiety that I'm sitting in your office trying to get yeah. rid of? We're like, wow, that's awesome that you figured it out. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, I guess that's part of this, huh, is we have to talk about it enough and that we can start noticing the patterns of how we might be influencing some of this tension. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're talking with Tamar Chansky, uh, Ph.D., psychologist specializing in the treatment and prevention of anxiety and stress in children, the author of Freeing Your Child from Anxiety and Freeing Yourself from Anxiety. We're taking a break. When we come back... We're going to wrap uh, up our discussion, and she's going to walk us through um, about how do you actually handle the back-to-school anxiety and, and deal a little bit more specifically with anxiety in our children. We're taking a break, folks, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, are your kids back to school? Are they struggling a bit? Uh, Maybe a little bit of their nervousness. Anxiety might be kicking in. They want to please you. They want to get, you know, they want to be successful. Sometimes school is a pretty good indicator of where our children are psychologically. And so today we asked uh, Tamar Chansky to come on with us. She's an author, a Ph.D., author of the book Freeing Your Child from Anxiety and Freeing Yourself from Anxiety. She's also the founder and director of the Children and Adult Center for OCD and Anxiety in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. And today, Tamar's teaching us about our kids, how to reach them, and kind of, you know, reach them in a way that we don't over-stress them. Is that right, Tamar? 
Yeah, you're right. Reach reach them where they are. So, ah. um, you know, hear from them. Take take their questions, their thoughts as a starting point and really work out from there. Yeah, and listen and let them kind of lead you where they are. Right, right. So, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is this idea of getting specific and narrowing things down. Mm-hmm. And kids are going to come home and say, you know, or in the morning they say, you know, school's too hard, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to say, right, you're feeling really overwhelmed right now, or worries just, you know, throwing all this stuff at you. What's the, you know, what's the thing that you're most worried about? Can we narrow it down? What's the thing that you're picturing is going to be really tough today? Um, and then go in and what I call sort of fact check the worry, you know, you child saying, you know, I don't, people aren't going to be nice to me or something, uh, you know, then you go over to the other side of the, the page in your mind of, do you really think that's what, you know, is that really what happened yesterday? No, it was just one, one boy, you know, didn't, didn't yeah. want to sit next to me. Like, okay, so. So it wasn't would, everyone. It was like just one boy. Either. Yeah. Right. But what, you know, what do you want to do about that today? So it just, it's really about hand, you know, working with your child so that by, by the end of that conversation, which really could be like a three minute conversation, they've got a new idea of their day that mm-hmm. they can walk out of the house with. And, and a real skill of how to process this. So we come home with a worry and you say, narrow the worry down. So tell me more about when you say you hate school or whatever, you don't, you don't want this or whatever, or the boys were mean, all the boys were mean to you. Narrow that down. Tell me what you mean by that. And then fact check, see if they're actually telling the truth or if there's exaggeration. Right. And, and then say, so great. What do, we, what do you want to do about that today? Right. Right. And just remember, too, that, you know, if your child is exaggerating, it's just because that that's yeah. how worry sounds for all of us. So that's why I try to make worry almost like a third party in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that the child doesn't feel like, you know, they're doing something wrong or they're exaggerating, but just, you know, normalizing for them. You know, worry does sound like that or worry does talk that way. My worry talks that way to me, too. Yeah, you know, right. I, I'm trying to train it to, to sit. That's right. My worry, my worry goes quiet and wants me to just watch TV all day. <laughs> I like it a lot. Well, well, clearly you're not listening, Matt, because <laughs> here we are. I know. Here we are at work. The, I, I really like that idea of um, because if you if you say, oh, you're such a stress case. So you, you don't even use the word anxiety. You use worry. You're having this feeling of worry. It's telling yeah. you something. Right. I mean, some kids know the word anxiety, but, you know, mo- most kids and I, I teach even like little kids, you can just take your, your two hands and, you know, kind of make them into finger puppets and say, you know, what's worry telling you? And so one hand sort of doing that talking yeah. thing like, you're going to this, you're going to that. Yeah. And then you pull out your other hand and say, this is your smart side. What does that side say? You know, what does that side know? And all of a sudden, you know, your four or five-year-old is learning kind of how, you know, neuropsychology works. That's right. It's like, great. Okay, we have different departments in the brain, but look, you, you were able to show that to them just using your two hands. When do we intervene? I mean, I, these are great ideas to just sit and because I could see a parent saying, I'm not going to do finger puppets. I'm going to go talk to that teacher. Mm-hmm. When I mean, it seems like that also can get in the way because then you're not letting your child learn some of these methods. Yeah, and certainly there is there is a time and a place to go in and talk to teachers. Um, but, yeah, you don't want to kind of skip over the idea that your child might might be able to do something different themselves. But if you do go in to talk to the teacher, uh, leave your anger at the door. This is your partner. Yeah. (laughs) 
You know, I just I was driving by a school today uh, where there was a sign outside that said something like, you know, parents and parents and teachers are partners, you know, mm. on behalf of their children or something like that. And it's so true that, you know, you kind of leave the anger at the door and say, you know, I need. I need your help with this. This is what happened. My child came home saying this. Can can we, you know, look at this together and figure out how to support him mm. so that nobody feels attacked, you know, and, and you're working together. Yeah. We, yeah. You, and again, there's nothing where our our emotions and our protective nature will come out more than if we feel our child has been wronged. But, mm-hmm. but two, our child isn't always giving us all the data. A lot of times they're telling a very, you know, one-sided story. And so be be slow, I think, to to jump till you have more data, huh? That's a that's a great point. I think, yeah, just go in open-ended. You know, can can you help us out with what happened yesterday? You know, Johnny came home very upset and we don't we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what, you know, can can you can you fill in the blanks here? You know, um, I had a really interesting. We had um we, I have six children and my third child our first two just could hardly wait to get to school. And like when we pulled up, they jump out. And we took um, our number three, went to school. We pulled up in our cute little van. And we were so, and they, we, had, we had already taken them earlier to show them the playground where they were going to be playing and everything. But when we opened that van door, he, you would think, uh, you know, we were about to take him hostage and throw him mm-hmm. into the, the enemy camp. He, he just flat out freaked out. This is on his first day of kindergarten, by the way. And, oh, we were so worried. Like, come on. No, come on. And then all of a sudden you're getting a little embarrassed. And we went in and dropped him off and actually stayed there for a while. And then the next day he did it again. And the next day he did it again. And we stayed longer. And one time we didn't – He, we took him home. Anyway, we took him to this child psychologist at the school. And the psychologist said, um, yeah, he's got some separation anxiety probably. And what you need to do is love him, reassure him, and then drop him off. Right. And when we pulled in, it was the greatest moment. We loved him. We reassured him. We opened the van door and the principal grabbed him <laughs> and mm-hmm. ripped him out and held him, took him in his office. And he did that. And then my son would calm right down yeah. and he'd walk him in. And it just taught us, taught me that, you know, sometimes also knowing when to leave and knowing when to trust other people that are there and that care. Uh, there's also a time for that. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked at the beginning of the show about this time as being about transition. So you're sort of in suspended animation between point A and point B. Right. The point B is going to be good, too. But, you know, you, you've got to be able to get there. And, and the longer that, you know, a parent stays, hangs out in the classroom, that, that just can, you know, I understand where it's coming from, but it kind of prolongs the agony. Yeah, that's right. Of being because you keep A there. Point yeah. A and point B. That's right. Because, right, you know, what you want to do is hand off your child to, you know, the per- a person at school, to an activity that can be a transitional activity for them to settle in. Because they're just, yeah, they just, they're between activities. They mm. need, they're between places. They need uh, something to help them kind of connect with where they are, and you don't want to get in the way of that. Yeah. Talk really quickly. I was a latchkey kid, and uh, my mom had to work. My parents divorced. Um, so I had really great neighbors and friends that would take me to school for her. And, um, but I know my mom also suffered just some pain 
and and I think a lot of parents out there do in knowing that they oh they so badly want to be there for their kids and they they have to work they need to work. What 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 advice would you give us as parents that are in that situation? You know, what I would say is that there's so many different ways to be there for your child. And it's not necessarily being there at 3.30 when they come home. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it may be that you, so many parents that I work with, um, you know, that they have a system with their kids now. Kids have, you know, cell phones. Maybe they text when they get home or they have a quick, you know, conversation. Yeah. Or if that's not possible, given the parent's job, there's a note <laughs> yeah. that's at home. And then, you know, dinner time comes, evening comes, and you have your time to connect. So, and, and if you work night shift and it's not that time to connect then, you, you make it work another time. Kids, you know, sure, would they love, my daughter says, Mom, will you just make cookies for me? That's what I want. <laughs> I, I haven't done that very often. Oh, I failed. Come but on, Tamar. She knows, I yeah. know. She knows that, you know, I am, I am absolutely her number one and there for her just in other ways. Sure. And I love that because we all, we, we, we all have to have give and take. At some time, we can't be everything everywhere all of the time. So to pay attention to that. Tomorrow, we got we to gotta go, but let me give you this. Let me give you 10 seconds. Will you just tell us what would you say is the one thing we as parents should keep top of mind? Maybe it's something you've already told us in, in knowing how to make sure we de-stress the lives a bit of our kids. Teach them not not to be afraid of their of their feelings. Teach them not to be afraid of change, of not to be afraid of discomfort, and to know that it's temporary and that you're you know each. I think of it as the swimming pool analogy. You know, you get in the pool, it feels really cold and uncomfortable, but what happens? You adjust. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so life right. is a lot of swimming pools. So I if love you that. have that, you know, idea, you can say, you know, is this a freezing cold pool or a medium? You know, what do you think? But but you know, Beautiful. no matter what, you're going to adjust. I love it, Tamar. So true. Everybody, again, Tamar, thank you. Thank you for helping us uh, walk through this. a pleasure talking to you today. You too. It was great. And everybody, go check out her website, tamarchansky.com. Also, go look at her book, Freeing Your Child from Anxiety. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion. I have some few insights, few points on back-to-school routines right after this break on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. <laughs> your coach, your guide on the side. That's my radio voice. That's a great radio voice. Are you trying to be Casey Kasem or something? Casey Kasem. Mm. I love him. It doesn't sound anything it like Casey but Kasem. It sounds pretty close when you have a headset on. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Have we got a show for you? We're back to school. Back to school. Yes. Which is exciting for all. Second and week of classes here at BYU. Second week. Mm-hmm. And uh, my kids are all in school. I so have, are mine. I have uh, piano being taught in my house Ooh. by some stranger I've never met. The dulcet tones of the piano being... <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> I wouldn't say dulcet tones, but there were tones. Okay. They were very... Um, 
Anti-dulcet? Anti-dulcet. They were prof- <laughs> they were they were pronounced. They A lot were, of tritones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not even harmonic. Okay. Disharmonic, is that the word? Mm-hmm. Dissonant? Dissonant, yeah. Dissonant. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go Those there. are the words that Marcus uses on the morning show. No, I'm using the big <laughs> words now. I really think we should have a word of the day that we that we show, that we, we well, put We just get it from word. Marcus. Yeah, let's ask Marcus a word of the day, and then I'll try to drop it in, either, even if it's not working right. Hmm. Work on that, Sean. Okay. Hey, today's show, we're talking about back to school and how – to you know, get back into the groove, get back into the the pattern of life. Get your children on a routine. Uh, but before we do, uh, we we have a headline. We're not going to. Sean's been doing some research. Well, it's uh, this Why? is an interesting sort of topic yeah. to yeah. me. Uh, in November, Washington state voters are going to be asked about lowering class school uh, school size school class sizes. No, the Washington state. Okay, mm-hmm. Maybe number of lowering. kids in classes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems but if you had fewer students, everyone would everyone would benefit. Sure, it's but it seems in the nation, class sizes have been creeping up since two thousand eight. That's according to the Education Commission of the states. Yes, so you know we we have more kids, right? We have more population, so class sizes are getting bigger. That's if right. you if you you know don't increase the number of teachers, you need either more teachers. Yeah, so that's that's what that's what the vote will be in November. Okay. Um, if you remain, if you reduce class sizes, you need more teachers because now, you're going to have more classes. Well, that's right. And again, it sounds like a no-brainer. Of course, we ought to reduce class sizes. That's right. And everybody you would think would be on board. And that's a very popular thing with with the public right now that's that right. class sizes should be reduced. Do our children not deserve smaller classes? Okay, that's. I mean, I could hear a well, politician saying that. But there's other people who say, well. I know of a politician who says we should not decrease the class size. Who would say you should not decrease class well, size? Well, we have the Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan. What does he know? Well, he's and you also have of education. Uh, billionaire Bill Gates. Well, but he's already said, smart and his kids true. are going to go to private school. Mm-hmm. Okay, but why? Tell why. Well, instead of, instead of um, decreasing the class size and hiring another teacher, what if instead we raised the teacher's salary who's already there? And gave them a bigger class to attract better teachers. Well, they okay. So they're saying, don't keep hiring more; mm-hmm. just start hiring better. Right. I like that. I believe that would work. Now, I was a kid that I needed a smaller class. There are again yeah. James's argument earlier right. in the show. Yeah. That you know, I was, a blanket mm-hmm. solution is not necessarily the best one. In fact, my mother called me special. Mm-hmm. And said, you're so special, you need a smaller class, someone that can keep your attention. Well, there's an interesting idea, though, that's, that's added on to this. Uh, Matthew Chingus, he's an education policy expert at the Brookings Institute. And he says he would rather pay for better teachers in slightly larger classes, but he would also consider paying teachers for a longer school year. Well, again, this is where we're going to go. If we keep changing, mm-hmm. if if and so Chingus may be onto something here. If we keep changing the size well, of the class, listen to what else he says. What? Um, or some? I'm sorry. There's another person, and I don't know. Oh, um, Eric Hanashek. He's a Stanford professor, and he says that additional funds should be spent buying out bad teachers' contracts. Buying them out. Raising average teacher quality. I like that. I, I mean, I like the end goal there. I think The end goal, yes. You don't need to buy them out. You can just 
shake them down. <laughs> I don't know what the words are. I didn't. I mean, I'm not a Stanford professor, uh, but it's interesting. So, that, okay, isn't this funny? Because again, it's. I, I really like how hard the community and the I mean Washington State is working to make yes. sure they make the right decision. I, I do love that, and yet it seems like we as parents, the teaching should still be done at home too. You can still teach, and I get I understand. I There's a huge population that don't have people at home that care. I get that, and sometimes it's not people at home that don't care. It's sometimes they can't. They can't be at home. That's right. So we need to worry about them. As much, and some of those parents that don't have time for their kids are listening right now too. True. And so, one of the things I focus on there's there's this interesting, um, powerful research about routines, right? And so, rituals we call them in marriage, mm-hmm. and relationships like families that have routines, that have rituals. And we're going to be talking about this a lot for this hour. I'm going to talk about it. Heather Johnson, who's coming up, is going to talk about the power of these routines and rituals. In the end, I think it's great. You know, we can get our kids to Harvard. We could get them, you know, music lessons, get them all of these things that will give them this great edge. But in the end, I think the most important ritual we need to have with our children are rituals around relationships. Okay. Because and in the end, if you don't have a relationship with your kids, you're not going to have the influence with your kids. So think of this. If, um, if you found out. Everybody out there in listener land, Sean, be ready. James, you be ready. If you found out you had four hours to live, you tell me what you'd do. I would cook dinner for my family. Would you really? Yeah. You're still going to have to have a meal on the mm-hmm. way out. You got that right. <laughs> but you're not doing but, it for the meal. See, that's, you're that's go, you're exactly go, right. It's interesting. You're going to a routine, a we, ritual. We have dinner every night at the table. But you're not doing it for food. No. You got four hours to live. You're doing it. Why? Because I'll be with my family. A ritual. Yeah. But see, watch. So what What I would suggest that all of us be thinking about, what is the ritual that will – and the way we know which rituals matter are the ones that are based on the relationship. So I ask you, what will you do when you're dying? You're, you're, you end up going to make dinner. That's what I'd like to do. Isn't that great? I would probably uh, – yeah, I would do something – some activity that I know I could get my kids to. Yeah. Except if I was dying, they'd probably come to my either that or a baseball game. Yeah. Take the family to the baseball mm-hmm. game. And go I'd want to sit out in the outfield where you could hang mm-hmm. out on a blanket mm-hmm. and play around and talk and toss a ball. Yeah. That see to me then that's a ritual that matters. James wrote what would you do? Now you again, you have four hours to live. You're a college student. Yeah. What would you do? Top, well, we know it'll involve top ramen. Yeah, I'd make top ramen first of all. First, once I had my top ramen, <laughs> that takes yeah. two minutes. Exactly <laughs> done. That's two minutes out of my four hours. No, but uh, to sitting long and talking much has always been a huge part of my family. And so I probably uh, like every Sunday, for example, we all of us from all around the nation we get on uh, and do like a Skype hangout oh, and cool. such. And so I think that's probably what I'd do. I'd spend the four hours just getting online and, and talking with my family. It's probably See, what it'd be. But again, a ritual that, by the way, stuff you're already doing. Yeah. So if we ask that question, and then what I teach is there's six key stakeholders we need to worry about. So six key relationships I'd be thinking about, and then I'd make sure we have some routine in our families around these. My relationship with my God, what would I do? How would I, re- what kind of you know, ritual could I create there? My relationship with myself, how do I want to be able to see myself, feel about myself? My relationship with my family, my work, my friends, and the fellow travelers in this world. What are the rituals that I can make with the people around me? 
Folks, I think in the end, it's going to be about relationships. And kids going to school, back to school, is a perfect time to be evaluating what matters most to you and your relationships. So when we come back, Heather Johnson, a professor here, an adjunct faculty member here at Brigham Young University, she is going to be coming on and talking and teaching us about our families and teaching us really about how to find time to be together as a family. Again, it's you may not have a lot, but Heather's going to give us some ideas and what we can do with that time. What are some activities that will build a family connection, a sense of love for each other more when we come back, folks? Building the family on the back to school uh, eve or maybe for some of you a couple weeks underway. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about back-to-school traditions, back-to-school rituals, things you can do as a parent to make sure that uh, you know, you're know you maximizing this time of year. Really, ooh, I love it in a way because finally the kids are in a routine. But man, if it doesn't frustrate me because now my kids are in a routine where I have a child getting up from 6 a.m. and I have one going to school about every 35 minutes. We're firing them out like a Gatling gun. Gatling gun. Gatlin! Not like the Gatlin brothers, which is different. Hey, on the show today, a good friend of the show, one of our great contributors, her name, Heather Johnson. Heather Ann, if you're taking notes. Heather Ann Johnson is a faculty member here at Brigham Young University. She teaches students the principles behind successful families and the importance of families spending time together. Uh, beyond the classroom, she also goes around and, and is a media personality with an emphasis on the personality <laughs> and also has a website, familyvolley.com, where she wrote a book that you've got to go buy, Family Fun Fridays, activities that you can do with your family. There's We've counted them up. We sent James to count them up. Ten million. Ten million. Ten million activities. That means I added a million since last week. Holy cow. I know. Just, you are busy. We are working so hard. Hey, Heather, um, as a communication expert, I sense you are backed up in the sinus area. I am this week. I apologize. No, it's great. I seem to be getting over something. You know, school started last week. It was probably being in a room with 50 people. I was Ugh. just meeting Ugh. ages of 19 and 26 Ugh. with a few outliers, Ugh. and it hit me. And now you're in this tiny little incubator room with me. <laughs> Right next, right next to you. It's almost gone though. I'm past all the the right. worst. It's just the sound. Yeah. Okay. Well, it doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah. So as long as you're not infectious. No, I'm not infectious, and I won't cough or breathe on anything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How are you going to do this without breathing? I'm. So, you. You're always saying how talented. I you mean, really I'm gonna are. Be okay. Yeah, but what I love about having you on the show, Heather, is that you bring some serious content. Hopefully, we have some things that help. Right. This is this is tricky. Once you send kids to school, it, it jeopardizes, not jeopardizes, that adds a negative yeah. connotation, but it takes up majority of their day. So oh, finding yeah. time to be together as a family is tough. Well, and then it doesn't end then because then they have lessons and they have practice and they have homework and yeah. then they have sports. Right? And so, you know, we believe in family and we want to spend time together, but doing it is really hard. It gets really tricky. Now, is there a way <clears throat> to expand time? 
No. Okay. Just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to see if anything had been invented. No, it hasn't. I've been, we've been the, working on it. Okay. You know, you I've know. been out of the time management industry for a while. But we do know, and you you've talked today in so many different aspects about how important this is. Yeah. I mean, really, the research supports spending time with our kids. It it safeguards them from a myriad of really big detrimental problems. Sure. And choices. So. We got to do it. We got to find ways to spend time together. And we don't want to induce guilt because again, I came from a mother that tried her best to spend time with you, with us, right? But she had to work, and she was exhausted, and we still had all these other things. And so, I don't want anyone listening to be like, "Oh, I'm a loser." Sure, but. Take one thing. Just take one thing you learn and add it to the repertoire and boom. Right. Well, here's the interesting thing. And you've just made this point really clearly with your own family growing up. We always think as families that we're not doing something or that we're doing something wrong. Right. And that's why we can't spend time together. That's not the case. If we go back to the very beginning, the reason we struggle to, f- to spend time together is because we're constantly wrestling with abundance. We're constantly wrestling with too much stuff. Yeah. Too many choices, yeah. too many decisions, too many obligations, too much stuff in our home and in our cars and in our lives. Oh, yeah. And so as a result, it takes away our ability to spend time together as a family. We don't often think of it that no, way. No, no. What, what if you grew up in the day that you just had a stick? Sure. There's a lot more time to do other <sighs> things when you just have to manage just stick. one stick, yeah. right? And we laugh about it and joke a little bit, but it is so true. It's that abundance. There's this idea of being a more minimalist parent. You've probably heard of yeah. it. It's, it's out there right now. But the concepts are so fantastic. It's a belief that right now each of us have all the resources we need. Right now, we don't have to buy anything, make anything up, go do anything right in our own two hands to spend more time together as families. And one we thing I love to um, – you already have a culture. Your mm-hmm. kids have already been raised or being, they're being raised by you. So they're already in the culture. So they all – it's – we always think like what we're going to do now is either making or breaking. Right. It. But right. the reality is they're already in it. They're already with you. So one little adjustment, you, you – it's not life or death. You're not deciding whether to crash into a mountain sure. or not. Sure. We'll just try something, see how it works, adjust. And you can just change it over time. Half the time they won't even know – Things are formally changing. Right. Or that you're doing anything for them. Right. So if we think about this idea of wrestling with too much and how it keeps us from spending time together with our families because our time is very limited. Right. So we want to free it up. We really want to take a step back and base our decisions on our values and not on our fears. Mm. What happens is we often make our decisions for our family time based on what we're afraid of. We're We're afraid that if our kids aren't playing three instruments, you know, three or four sports and I don't know, in a million other That's things right. that they're not going to be well-rounded or won't get into college. Right. right. That's a fear we have. That's true. And so as a result, we put them in a million things and overschedule them. When they're overscheduled, it keeps them from being with our family. Right. Or maybe we get involved with a lot of social activities in the evenings as, as parents. We do it because we're afraid we're going to miss out on what's going on or our friends don't will never miss. invite That's us. Right. Again, That's right. right. So we're governing our family time by fear instead of by values, value-based. Oh, yeah. And that's not going to help us, right? Well, and doing 50 things doesn't make them better. Right. I mean, it seems like it would be smarter just as you were saying that. Maybe not three sports, maybe one, but nail it. Sure. Love it. Maybe not two instruments, but one and own it. and And be involved in it. And interestingly enough, that then leaves time. No matter the school or the activities or the sports or the instrument, the best thing we can ever do for our kids is put them in a healthy family environment where right. we are there spending time with them. So even if they know three instruments, 
there's still going to be greater benefits from being together as a family. Yeah, in the end, the right. family time the end, will pay off. In the end. So take a step back for a second and think as a family, what are our values? What do we value the most? If you value family time, then we want to make sure that every time we make a decision, it supports our value system. So we could have discussions about our values. Absolutely. And this is a great one to get and differentiate because maybe some things we value um, – like we might value movies, right? And right, that's great. Great, and uh, we might also value, you know, church or religious or uh-huh. spiritual things. And so, how do we do? We end up choosing. I guess you have to kind of maybe prioritize your values, right? Is there a higher one than another one? What, that's how does gonna, that work? That's going to go right back to each and every family. Every yeah. family is going to value things very different. You know, for example, we had neighbors growing up; they valued music, mm. right, to the extent that they put it above some other things. It's where they spent most of their family time. Now, our family was we, it the Osmonds. It, <laughs> It wasn't. But, okay, because we their are neighbors, in Provo, Utah. I, yeah, I bet they felt the same. We valued, uh, a, you know, a myriad of things. But one of the things we valued opposed to music was we played a lot of sports. Yeah. So we did that a little bit more. Now, we did it as a family and it was part of our family culture and our value system. Yeah. Very different. Not right or wrong. Right. Just simply what we value. And it seems like living your values, not your fears, values will bring <clears throat> peace. Right. So even if you can't do everything but you can do your values, peace will be present. Absolutely. And your family then grabs hold of that piece and finds more ways to support the values together. I love and it. so it's really powerful when we and sit down as a family. Obviously parents or, you know, individuals sit down and decide what you want those values for your children and your families to be. But then sit down with your kids and ask them, what do you value? What is important to you? What do you want to have happen in this family? And they'll have something to say. Yeah. And then make sure that those decisions support that value. We want to schedule then our family's lives according to what is best for our family. Hmm. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt. Guilt runs our families 24-7. But guilt is then part of the fear paradigm, right? Right, right. Uh, Who was it? Gloria Steinem, a feminist. Somebody once said uh, the best way to know what your values are is to check your checkbook. So if we would just go through and look at our checks, just go look at your bank statement and see where all of your money is going. And maybe you could align right there. Am I spending my money – where our values are. Absolutely. It's because a, I just think of how much money we spend on silly stuff. Stuff, right? That yeah. that doesn't support, again, that value system. That's great. So we want to go back to that. With that said then, and managing too many things, we really as families can stop acquiring stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, I mean, we will find that we need to acquire less. The more we have, the more we have to manage. The more we have to manage, the less time we have to be together as families, right? right? Whether it's toys or sporting equipment or musical, whatever it might be, it's just more stuff. Oh, it's so. And true. so we want to we want to stop acquiring. You know, we want to make sure that we're not having to manage so many things that we can't be together as a family, or as a mom that we can't be with our children and our husband because we've so much to manage behind us. Oh, that's so we want to get rid of that. That's it. Then you buy a house, and then you need right furniture, and then all this stuff you have to now manage. Well, and, and it takes your time. I know for me, I even think of little things like our children's clothes. You know, sometimes in my mind, I think I wish I had a hundred pair of socks for every kid, so that. Oh, yeah. We were always had them, right? But I can't manage 500 pairs of socks. No, no. And in trying, it keeps me from being able to spend time where I want to spend it. We think it will so make our true. lives easier. And it's such a silly kind of simple analogy there. But get rid of the excess. Let it go so we can manage what we want to manage, which is time together. That's so what we want to do. That's and it's, do. it's something as simple as your clothes, your, uh, your extracurricular uh-huh. time, and even, even as simple as – 
you know, everything in the house, your right. furniture, your right. – the more you buy, the more you have to th- – I mean when I see somebody buy a boat, nothing against boats, but – my favorite part is going out with people that have boats <laughs> as long as they'll – and then, you know, do you guys need any help putting the boat? No, we got it. OK. But then you see them go spend three hours huh? waxing the boat. Right. And so we're back to values, yeah. right? That is something that they deeply values. value for their family time where for our family, that wasn't something mm-hmm. we valued. We yeah. we had a value, you know, ladder that was a little bit different with different That's things right. at the top and bottom. I like to value a friend that has a boat. There you go. Right. That's my value. And- we're going to take a break. We are um, talking with Heather Johnson. When we come back, she has a big list of steps, things we can do to help us find some time, buy some time. Really be thinking too and be thinking how you can take your family out and start discussing what are our values. What do we value as a family and what are we afraid of that makes us make decisions that minimizes time together? More after this break, folks, with Heather Johnson right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Heather Johnson's here, faculty member here at Brigham Young University, teacher extraordinaire, friend, and cold sufferer. Cold sufferer, I know. I apologize for the nasaliness. No, you know what? Actually, two callers have called in. They say you sound sultry. You sound... (laughs) Thank you for that. I appreciate it. (laughs) Maybe I need a cold more often. We appreciate you two truck drivers from Michigan (laughs) calling in, giving that update. Uh, anyway, Heather, uh, Heather. by the way, if you go to her website, familyvolley.com, great website. She wrote a book, Two Family Fun Fridays, with tens of millions of, oper- of uh, activities you can do as a family yep. to find spirit together, be together. She's teaching us today how to find time for our families. It's, you know, it's so hard, but no better time than right now as kids are getting back to school. We're getting on some type of a, a structure. Talk to us, though. You've also said we've got to start with our values, right? So we've got to know what we value as we a family. Do. We have to decide what we value. If we value family time then we've, or whatever it is, then we want to make sure that any decision we make supports our values, right? right? And it, it's that simple. It's asking ourselves that quick of a question. When I go to say yes or no to something, I can quickly think, hey, is this you know, enabling me to spend more time with my family? If the answer is no, I should really rethink it that's if right. that's my value system. So true. Right? So true. So if we're looking for more family time, we can't reinvent the wheel. Like no. you said at the beginning, no one's magically made more time. That's right. <laughs> so we've got to deal with what we've got and we've got to make it the best for our family. Yeah. You mentioned this before we started. One key way to do this is to turn our routines into rituals. I love it. This is so powerful and it is so very basic. But we already are doing things in each other's presence. Simply turn the routine, whatever it might be, dinner or getting ready in the morning or driving in the car to piano practice or whatever it is, turn it into a ritual. Now, the question then is, wait a second, how do I magically make driving to piano a ritual? The key is to add meaning. That's cool. That one single thing. If we can add meaning to something that is very routine, we've now turned it into a ritual. You, If you value music, which I like our family, we love music and not really the classical type. (laughs) 
The piano type. We're not that type. <laughs> but a good – and my kids, the minute we start playing a really great song that they all love, they all know, the it lights up and we're all together. You're all there on the same page. Mm-hmm. You're you're bonding through that, right. through what you value. And then you can turn it down and talk and then pull it back up and it's right. good. And converse. So the great thing here is to really think through, okay, what is very routine in our day that we have to do and we're already doing together? Write it down. Write down the, the right. five times your family actually crossed paths. And then decide how can I add meaning to those things so that they now become a ritual. Remember, rituals provide our families with connection, with predictability. It gives us a way to teach and enact values when we're parents. Yep. It, it also creates a sense of identity for our families and for our children, which is so valuable when we send them off as teenagers to you know, explore and figure out who sure. they are. So start there. Turn your routines into rituals. So for example, family dinner. You, We're all going to eat tonight. Right. We're going to show up at the table sometime. Let's set a time, set a few candles out, light them up, add some meaning, some fun to it. And make sure it happens every night. And now you've got a ritual. There you go. Right? The power behind it. Well, and that's what's cool is they – so that you're saying your rituals pretty much already exist. Right. You just need to maybe formalize them by saying, kids, this is our ritual. Right. Well, and adding and, that meaning. And add the meaning to it. Right. Yeah, and get everyone on the same page that this is meaningful. Right. And if it's not, figure out what we could do to make it make more Make it meaningful. That meaning is what's going to create the memories and pull at our heartstrings. Love it. The, the meaning is what creates the ritual that you know. now I look back as an adult and think about all those rituals we did and they're powerful to yeah, me. Right? Absolutely. They make those memories. So that's what we want to do. Other things, and we've touched on it before and again today, but if we want to have or make more family time during a busy school year, we've got to limit our activities. So here's what the research hey, suggests. Just say no. Just It's exactly right. If you it know, works for drugs, it'll work for extracurriculars. Put that on your calendar, in fact, on every square just That's or right. at the top. Just say no to That's things. Right. Research shows us that children actually need a single extracurricular activity, possibly two. Just one or two? Just one or two. That's it. So you're not, not you're saying ten. those with 10 aren't – they're not 10 times better? No. They're not 10 Weird. times better. I know. You're going to get maybe a lot of calls on that. I like it. The, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't mean anything better. Realize that we're back to our value system. If we're actually saying we value spending time with our family, we can't be engaged in 50 different things. Oh, no. You know, we have five children. If in a couple of years, every one of them has one activity and my husband and I have one activity each a week, that's seven things. Mm. Well, that just – probably took every night of the week. So when are we going to be together? That's right. So we have to evaluate the time we're spending outside our home in, a, in individual activities. Now for parents, the research suggests that we do one thing a week as a parent outside the home, just one. So if I have four things. You can't have the choir, the Matt Townsend right. show, <laughs> your gardening show, exactly and your right. class. We can't do all that. What happens is when parents are gone all the time, especially in the evening, we miss out on the most powerful time for families to spend together, the connection rituals, putting kids to bed or getting ready for bed, eating family meals together, walks after dinner, playing games spontaneously. Those are the things that happen for families in the evenings, after dinner or, you know, when we're regrouping, when I'm constantly away. And I've learned this the hard way. There's been stints in my life where I've been away too much and yeah. I feel it. Oh, yeah. And I recognize that I'm missing out on the opportunities to pull our family together. So we have to give them up. That's right. We've got to limit those That's things. That's cool. And be, be present. Be present, right? Other things we have to do is we've got to turn off the television. <sighs> it's automatic family time. So here's a great solution. If you're listening thinking, I don't have time to be with my family. 
turn the TV off and the technology, even if it's 15 minutes a day, and put that time straight back into your family. Yeah. That's, it's that simple, right? And you, you can have – you can then record your shows. Sure. And watch them. I mean, even watch them when the kids are in bed. I mean, watch them at other times. There's Absolutely. Other times. And the technology, you know, this is turning off the phones and the internet. Stop with the email. Stop, you know, with Pinterest, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Just just shoot for 15 minutes if it seems overwhelming. And then spend that 15 minutes together as a family. You will very quickly see that you don't want to go back to the computer right. or the TV. You actually want the 15 to th- turn into 20 and then 30 and then right. as much as you can get. And then heaven forbid we're actually a family again. <laughs> and we're actually doing something together. Right. We also have heard so many um, different studies show us the research behind too much TV in homes with the aggression and the contention. Yeah. It's, if there's a lot of that in your home and the TV's on a lot, you can turn it off and you'll see that change. Oh, I've seen, I've seen one commercial come on. With this, there's a new show. I don't even know what it is. And it's kind of just aggressive, uh-huh. violent uh-huh. in a way. And I just watched my kid watch it. Two seconds later, did a little spin <laughs> kick, kicked his brother in the gut. And I'm like, yep, violence on TV. It's exactly it right. It does impact the family. It absolutely impacts the family. And even just the fact that we're sitting there and not expanding our minds or communicating or coordinating things with other family members, that creates aggression. Oh, yeah. Right? That creates aggression. Yeah. Other things, and we've mentioned, but we've got to eat together. Mm. Dinner together. If you can't do dinner, shoot for breakfast. Shoot you know, a for meal. anything. Right. Find find a way to have a meal together. If you can't do it every night, then do it on Saturday mornings or every Sunday. Again, come up with that ritual where your family is sitting around eating. It's a built-in time spent together. That's right. It's automatically there. We've got to eat. Find a way to do it together. And in a weird way, it's also – it's it, you're going to do that right, anyway. for 20 minutes. So right. if you're going to eat anyway and you can make that the ritual, uh-huh. you have bought yourself 20 minutes a day easy to be together. It's exactly right. Where we didn't have to go buy anything, recreate, right. you know, invent the wheel, any of that. Now, when it comes to dinner time, a couple things to remember if we really want it to be good family time. Low salt. L- low salt, low fat. Low fat. Right? Okay. Low fat. Okay. We also want to, you know, have low disciplining, right? Yeah. Leave all this the is discipline. pleasant time. It is. Leave the discipline issues out. This isn't a time to pick on somebody to right. say, hey, you know, you're doing really lousy in math. What's going on? We want to create an environment where our kids actually want to come back every night. Mm-hmm. So if we're constantly on them at dinner, they're not going to want to do it. Turn that. off technology. Be there. Make it pleasant. That's exactly And right. make a great meal. And make something, right, that so tastes good. They wouldn't even know. If you tricked them and just said dinner, they wouldn't even know like we're having a family moment. No. And then – Then but, you got them. But they will a couple years later when they leave the house and think, man, I love the fact that my parents got us together to eat every so night. So true. And all of a sudden that meaning and the ritual and all of that comes back with our time. So this is a really powerful one that, like you said, is already built into our lives. That's we right. have to have food. You got to eat. Let's put it in our mouths together, right? Let's so do it great. together. Okay. This one might sound a little bit different, but we've got to get some sleep. Amen. Amen. Loved it. If we want to spend time together as a family, we've got to get some sleep. Now, it's funny. You're thinking, okay, if we're sleeping, we're not together. But here's the key. If as parents, we don't get enough sleep, children too, we are in no condition to want or desire to spend time <laughs> we together. We don't want to be together. We don't. Yeah. We are tired. And as parents, we're we're not thinking, I want to be you know, with our family or what could we do or let's go on an adventure. We're not thinking Mm-mm. of that. We are ornery and irritated and yeah. tired. I, you know what, by the way? I notice it on this team. <laughs> that when they don't get mm-hmm. enough sleep, they're ornery. I can totally tell when they're not <laughs> sleeping. And it's the same with kids. Set a bedtime. 
stick to that bedtime, get them on that routine so that they're rested and calm mm-hmm. so that they can better handle family time together. It's it's a lot of stress for kids to be with siblings and parents and, you know, go out and see new and we so want that true. calmness. The other really cool thing about getting some sleep is if we can put our kids on a sleep schedule, it automatically automatically opens up time for us to spend with our spouse. Oh, yeah. Which we need more of just like we need That's more right. family time. Uh, we try to be sticklers in our house about bedtime. And one of the biggest reasons, besides the fact that it benefits our kids, is it ensures that my husband and I have a couple hours together every single day yep. because we put them to bed. So there's a lot of benefits with, oh, I love with getting that. some sleep. It really opens that, that time up Well, for and us. then you're actually – there's actually a motivation to get your, your right. kids to bed right. because we'll go be together in a way that's meaningful. That's sure. Powerful. And it's hard. You know, those bedtime routines with kids, especially young, they're tough. They're yeah. challenging. But sticking to them, the benefits are big. That's huge. Benefits are really big. What if yeah. your marriage got – better because of that. <laughs> and then uh, one more. Give us one more. Uh, one more. You know what? Plan to do something together every week. Now, as this a family? Is, as a family. Okay, heaven yeah. forbid. Love it. Here's the key though. Put it on your calendar. Don't just think we're going to make it happen when it happens. Write it down and stick to it just like you do your dentist appointment yeah. You know, in your parent-teacher conferences and stick to it and then you'll be set. Uh, really quickly, what do you do? Like we made, we make the mistake of saying, "Hey, kids, um, what do you want to do tonight?" <laughs> That's tricky. Like we don't ask that question anymore because you've got too many opinions, right? right. So if you want to involve your children, one thing you can do is simply assign them each a week, Ooh. right? And it's really fun. Put a different child, and again, put it on the calendar. Yeah, you know, James gets the first week, Susie gets the second. And then assign them. And they can be in charge. Now, the great thing is it teaches your family too. Everyone who shows up has to have a good attitude and follow whatever Susie's planned. Even if it's like, yeah. Even if it's silly to your 17-year-old. But she's six and she came up with it. So we learned to support one another. So put the nail polish on and shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And you can do fun things too. You know, I know a family that every Saturday night they hang out together and the children get to plan and they each get a $5 budget. Oh, I love that. $5 to spend. That's all they get. Now, the cool thing is they've been doing it for a couple of years now, and usually the kids have become so creative, they don't even need the $5. So they find ways to do things together for free. The kids get to have a say. Nobody's arguing or fighting, yeah. and they all support one another. You know what they need? Is? Family Fun Fridays They book. do. Because there's a million, no, 10 million. 10.5 million. It increases. Yeah. Activities to do with your family. Activities to do with your family, probably under $5. Probably, if not free. Most (laughs) of the activities in there are things you already have in your home. Well, you may pull a hamstring. You might. I mean, when I did your activities, I was in traction for a It'll heal. It's all right. Look, you're okay now. That might have something to do with me, not you. (laughs) Um, Heather, uh uh-oh. You know, chicks dig scars. Oh, there we go. They do? Did you have scars? No. From that hammy pull? Uh, no, no. Mental. Oh, mental. I have mental scars. Though. Chicks, chicks dig mental scars. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think they dig a lot of the ladies I know. Real don't scars want. more than yeah. mental scars. They'd rather have a real scar. Yeah. Well done, Heather Ann. You're the best. You gonna stick stuff. around? Yes. Alyssa is going to be teaching us uh, what parents pay for their child to attend school. You know, you'd think you know the government was picking it up with your taxes. Nope. Nope, apparently we're paying a lot. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back wrapping up our back-to-school show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, peeps, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, I'm just trying to stay hip and cool now that I'm back to school. Uh, today, we're talking about getting back to school. We've talked about every angle that you can imagine on back to school. In the house, Heather Ann Johnson joining us as well. By the way, sporting a cold. Sporting a cold today, yep. But uh, again, as the drivers in Michigan are claiming, Sul- you sound great. Sultry. Sultry. Thanks those. I don't even know sultry means those, exactly, but it sounds truck drivers rich and deep. <laughs> By the way, James, they said the same thing about you. I'm sounding sultry. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> so it's a win for everybody in the house. <laughs> Alyssa Banks is joining us. Alyssa, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank so, you. Excellent. I'm glad you're here because as we wrap this up, we need somebody to pay the bill. For, I didn't volunteer to do that. You're not so. paying the bill. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. I'm what, just talking about bills. What, what, what it's way it, easier. Like, what do you mean? You, you did, you've done some research on what parents pay for their, cho- their child to attend school. Right. I don't pay anything because my kids go to public school, so it's just easy. We just send them. Well, actually, I did some research, so oh, I looked up um, collegedata.com, Wall Street Journal, and education.costhelper.com. Those were the sites I used. Wow. Um, and I looked up elementary school public cost, yeah. and they said that typically you spend from 10 to $100 to send your chi- child to, to elementary. school. Yes, to a public elementary school. You do? Yes. It's like a... Really? You yeah. should ask your wife. Mm-hmm. She knows. It's like direct, she knows. Yeah, that's like a that's like a multi level marketing thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they break it down with you know an activity fee or a field trip oh. or reading programs <gasps> okay. or, or a spirit pack or just right. donate some money for fun. Do, do you want your child to have spirit? <laughs> right. Right. Well, no. I thought she did. <laughs> Not for twenty dollars. <laughs> no? Well, you just can buy the spirit the pack. <laughs> That's interesting. Hundred bucks, ten dollars yeah. to a hundred dollars yeah. to send your child to the elementary. So you bet that uh, you know middle school is going to cost more. Right. What would we cost? What well, cost I broke them? it down with elementary school, high school, and college. Okay, let's go there. Oh. So we we just put a kid, at our son, in middle school, and it cost us five hundred dollars. Wow, he's got a lot of spirit. He's involved. <laughs> That God. spirit better That's take spirit. him far, let me tell you. <laughs> Does he get a sweatshirt? You know, he got a T-shirt. He did oh, get a just t-shirt. one T-shirt. But though. really, he there was a class fee for every class. So if he has eight classes, every class had a different amount assigned to it that we had to pay. Hold Even the generals, it. right? Even the generals. He, right. We paid for English. We paid for PE. We what's paid for the, every single class. What's the extra stuff you need for English? I don't know. I don't know. We haven't, we haven't seen that spirit. Oh, do you want words yet. with your English? <laughs> Well, you got to pay for it. Right. Or a textbook. I, I have no idea. Do you want your child to read a book? But it did. By the time we were done, we looked at just shy of $500. That's a racket. Seventh grade. Yep. Well, mm. on on this article, they said that they were asking for money for the ink, for the printer to print off papers for English, for their grammar exercises. Yeah, They're just asking for ink. Fax wow. me or email yeah, me. Yeah, it gets down <laughs> to, the, to the little details. Um, and I was talking to Christine in the office, and she taught seventh grade, and she did music appreciation. Yeah. And at one point, she had to buy um, her own guitar because she was told, you need to teach guitar. And she didn't know how to play, and nor did she have a guitar. <laughs> so then she had to go to lessons, pay the teacher, learn how to play the guitar. See, honestly. Spend the money. So I feel like it's a bad, a bad combo of, like, the teacher's paying and the parents paying. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid— you would the only instrument you'd play was a recorder. 
Do you remember? Oh, she had to buy recorders for her class as well. But see, the funny thing about a recorder <laughs> is I'm always like, so I've never seen a recorder like played by like a professional. Like in an orchestra or in a band? Well, I mean I've seen it like a, like a some guy playing the flute somewhere. <laughs> Not the flute, the, the recorder. But it's just – you know, it was never huge. I never saw like right. Elton John. Let me pull out my recorder. My Here we recorder. go. <laughs> you know. That's funny. Man. Yeah. So next we have high school, and the range goes from one hundred to seven hundred dollars. But even then, it can yeah. increase no, pretty if you easily. Play fo- if you play football, it's a thousand dollars, and you have to go raise about a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Do you know how expensive drill team is? How? <laughs> Well, okay, I was talking to Andy, and he has a daughter on the drill team, and I was also on the drill team, so I know from personal experience. By the way, the Black and Decker drill team. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, okay, because I get it. It could be expensive as a Black and Decker drill so team. So he had to pay seven or $800 as a down payment to be a part of the team, right? And then they have out-of-state competitions in either New York, Florida, all these big places, expensive, far away oh, from Utah, wow. right? Yeah. Um. And then for costumes, you have to bedazzle them right before the performance because well, they're not good enough yet. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Matt understands that. He has sisters. Uh, <laughs> so you got to buy a bedazzler. Right. And, and all the moms get together and bedazzle. Right. <laughs> Rhinestones. And then he said they had motivationals by parents or coaches, and these were cute little frames they made for the girls or, you know, a bag or something. But those happened every competition. So what? these costs keep adding up more and more These and more. kids can't stay motivated? Can't <laughs> Without one a motivational bag or a frame? <laughs> it's hard. With all and those rhinestones, you'd think they'd be happy. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Um, another example of a club that you can participate in is student government. Man. And typically – My kids do that, but that – oh, but then you got to buy a sweater. Oh, yes. That's the worst when you're when you're a senior. Or yeah. Some the sweaters people are expensive. Do every year, right? And then you get to see them in a pile on your son's – you're you like know, they floor. wore that one year. <laughs> My daughter is in student government. Three hundred and ten dollars for her. Oh. For what? For student government. Does she have to buy her own podium to speak for? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their own. <laughs> you got a dolly and your podium, your own Three. microphone, your sweater. System. Yeah. Well, we were told oh. we planned all the activities and we had to attend them, but we also had to pay for all of them. Well, you so that not, adds up too. Let's not even count. You're already paying taxes. You're already paying all of these other things on top of that. And now you're like, – so high school is how much? 100 to 700. What was college really fast? T- college is 22826 for a public in-state school. For one year. Right. And What private, if your kid's not that smart? <laughs> then they don't need to go. Okay. <laughs> and private in-state no, is no. 44750 <laughs> See, there, there is a place for mediocre. Where? Not Where everyone needs to be educated. <laughs> Not everyone does. At this rate, <laughs> you know how much money we would save if we could all just lower our expectations. Right. There we go. Well, well done, Alyssa. I'm Thank glad you're you. all here. I'm glad you all have parents that were willing to pay the bill. Good job, Heather. Thanks. Take care of your cold. I will. Thanks. We're out of here, folks. Back to school. Back to school night. Better get your checkbook out. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow. Here's a great quote for you. The difference between school and life. In school, you're taught a lesson and then given a test. In life, you're given a test that teaches you a lesson. Tom Bodet, he'll leave the light on for you. Tomorrow, folks, we have the perfect show. It's all about perfection and how to strive for it and how it's not always a good thing to strive for it, folks. You, mean, you know, we may not be perfect. This show may be, 
but we are not. Hey, we're out of here, folks. Thanks for being with us. Let's be here again tomorrow. Same time, same lessons right here on the Matt Townsend Show at BYU Radio.